0: I don't want to be the boy that runs in the back. I don't want to be the kid that falls in the, fall seen the dark. All I really want to be is the guy that gets that girl.
1: Welcome to the AJ
0: Steele Show. We discuss politics, sex, money, and everything in between. And now, here's your host, an immigrant, a self-made millionaire. An American, (laughs) A.J. Steele. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the A.J. Steele Show. In our last few episodes, I spoke about my wonderful visit to the South and about the Afghanistan debacle that was unfolding in front of our very eyes. And today I woke up hearing about the horrible suicide bombing in Kabul, It took the lives of scores of American soldiers and many, many others, and people were hurt and blood and kids. It's just unbelievable what human beings can do to other human beings. And I was thinking to myself that it's very, very easy for me to say, I told you so, because I did. And I knew that the defeat and humiliation that we suffered in Afghanistan under Joe Biden and his handlers was going to lead to body bags. Weakness always begets violence. And I know that the vacuum created by Joe Biden and all of his handlers, because you know he's not in control, that vacuum is going to be filled very quickly. And not by the types of people you want to bring home to meet your family, trust me. So as I'm watching all this horrible news, I'm just thinking to myself, is there anyone that could save us at this point? Is there a Churchill or an Eisenhower or General MacArthur? I don't even know if those types of men exist anymore. The last guy that was a little bit like that was President Trump. And look what happened to him. He's gone. At this point, maybe God is the only thing that could save us. Maybe it would take God himself to save our world from total collapse. And somehow this all leads to today's interview with Rabbi Michael Barclay. Rabbi Barclay is not just an inspirational religious leader, but he also happens to be a very outspoken conservative, and I've been reading his articles for years on one of my favorite conservative websites, PJ Media. And believe it or not, I even caught him a couple of times on the radio being interviewed by one of my idols, Michael Savage of the Savage Nation. But before we get too deep into compliments and platitudes, I wanted to mention something that Rabbi Barclay told me in private. Usually before we do these interviews on uh, the podcast, we have a pre-interview where we talk and we get to know each other. And so I spent some time talking to him and I told him that I think that he's very brave for speaking out in a community that basically hates conservatives. And I also told him that I thought he was a hero for being the only rabbi in California who kept his synagogue open despite the fact that the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, who was acting like a pharaoh of Egypt or Herod of Judea, decreed that all houses of worship, including churches and synagogues, stay closed to the public and hold no services because of his ridiculous and unscientific coronavirus lockdowns. Now, mind you, this was happening while His Highness, the governor, was dining at a super expensive restaurant called the French Laundry in Yountville, California, with a whole bunch of his rich friends and donors, completely maskless, completely non-social distancing, and completely at taxpayer expense. That's the height of hypocrisy. And that's the liberals, and that's Gavin Newsom and Nancy Pelosi's California. But let's get back to Rabbi Barclay. As we continued our conversation, I told him that I consider him to be very brave and a hero for standing up to the governor. So the rabbi answers me that he wasn't a brave man or a hero. He was just doing his job, he was just doing what he thought was right. So I started thinking to myself, what is a hero? And I thought that men and women who put their lives on the line for their nation are heroes. And what about folks who would jump into burning buildings to save lives? And then I started thinking about Pat Tillman. I wonder if anyone even remembers him anymore. He left a great NFL career right after 9-11 and joined the military and ended up dying in Afghanistan for America. But I also thought of men of honor like Abraham Lincoln and Martin Luther King and Gandhi. They didn't expect to die, but they spoke brave words and they ended up losing their lives for their words. They died standing up for what they believed in. But I don't think we have to die to be heroes. Heroes are kids in school who step to protect a weak kid from a bully or someone who gives their time to help the less fortunate. I even think some wealthy people who donate a lot of their money for worthy causes can be heroes too. And yes, men who go against the grain in pursuit of the truth, justice, and American way are also heroes. And so are men of God. They're being challenged every day by a society that has not only forsaken God, but is actively working to erase and minimize his words and his commandments, and his morality. So yes, standing up to tyranny is being brave. Standing up and not bending while the devil wins and the evil spirits blow your way is being brave. Saying what needs to be said, despite the fact that it may be unpopular, or inviting derision, is being a hero. There are very few men and women like that left in the world today, and we need all of them to stand up and be counted. We need each and every one of you to stand up and be that hero also. Now, I'm going to have to take a short break, but before we do that, I want to remind all of you to please subscribe to our show and to spread the word to everyone you know. And when we return from our break, we're going to play our interview with Rabbi Michael Barclay. It's an interview you're not going to forget. This is the AJ Steele Show.
1: A.J. Steele Show. Think of your loudmouth best friend, hated by all the wise, because he tells it just like if it You'll
0: finally see, your love belongs to me. Rabbi Michael Barkley, welcome to the A.J. Steele Show. Thank you. It's, it's great to be here, A.J. I really appreciate it. So I've been following your opinion pieces on PJ Media, which is a very popular conservative website for a long time now, and I'm really glad to have you on with us. And it seems to me that for a man of God, you found a triple mission. One is to tend to your flock of Jewish people in Southern California. The second is to help return America to its Judeo-Christian roots. And the third is becoming a conservative thought leader. I'm really curious to know what led you down to these three paths. I actually view them all as one path,
1: which is serving God. Uh, the more observant I think anyone is in their faith tradition, typically the more politically conservative they are. Because we believe in individual rights and, and free will and individual responsibility and things like that. Um, to me, it's all one mission of of serving people and helping them deepen their own relationship with life, with God, with their own faith tradition. In my case, that's Judaism. And I take care of our congregation that way, and as well as a lot of people around the country follow us online. Uh, but it, for me, it's it's just one path, which is to try and be right and righteous, to try and do the right thing. That's what I, I try and teach my children, and it's what I try and, and do in my own life.
0: So you're being a light to the nations, which is a very important concept in Judaism, I believe. I, I, I don't know that I am, but I'm certainly uh, trying to be. Well, then my follow-up question will be, Do you feel that it's appropriate for a man of God, for a rabbi, to be talking politics?
1: Well, there are are two rules that we have in our community that I've placed on on, on our temple, um, which is, number one, from the pulpit, we will never badmouth Israel. That's first of all, because the moment that a rabbi badmouths Israel from the pulpit, um, then the anti-Semite can say, see, 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 the rabbi even thinks Israel is wrong. And the other rule is I don't talk politics from the pulpit. I do plenty of writing. I do plenty of speaking, but my political side, I keep off of the pulpit. I believe my job there in the congregation is to help people deepen their own relationship with God through a Jewish pathway, not to say vote this way or that way. Uh, I have faith that as people become more aware, more awake, that they choose to be in a certain direction politically, and that is certainly not where the left is in today's world.
0: So there's two of you, it seems like there's a dichotomy. There's a man of God and there's a political man, but it sounds like the political man depends on the scriptures. Absolutely. So many non-religious American Jews happen to be ultra-liberals, and they seem to put their radical leftism above God and above their ancestral home of Israel, and in many cases, even above their tradition, which is 4,000 years old. How did they get this way? It's funny that you asked that.
1: Prior to you calling me, I'm actually working on an article for PJ Media on that exact topic. Um, and there, there are a number of reasons. There are historical reasons. Um, from the late 18th through, from, excuse me, late 19th through mid-20th century, the democrats seemed to be very supportive of israel and of jewish causes harry truman was president when israel was created uh america was a place that that the jews could go when they were leaving from the russian pogroms from from poland from the nazis so they came over here really embracing americanism proud to go through the process of becoming citizens and they did it during democratic administrations so historically, there was that tie on the one hand. Uh, additionally, there was a theological tie because Judaism is very much about taking care of the downtrodden and the weak. And so when they came over here, they were very involved in social causes that are the foundation of many of the leftist causes now. But, you know, there was a time when we needed to have unions to prevent child labor, to prevent the sweatshops. And so Jews resonated to keeping that kind of protection over the week. Similarly, they were some of the founders of the NAACP and very involved in the civil rights movement. So there was a historical reality, first of all, that uh, Jews were tied to the left on on a certain level. There's that theology, that history, and then there's what's happened in the last 40 years, and it's very, very sad. A lot of Jews, reformed Jews, have converted away from Judaism. And they haven't converted to another religion. They've converted to secular leftism. Mm. They want to assimilate. And so they end up becoming secular leftists and rejecting their own tradition in favor of that. And like many converts, they become fanatical about their new tradition, in this case, leftism. And they show disdain for their old tradition, in this case, Judaism. So that assimilation and and that, that process of becoming secular leftists has taken them out of Judaism. And I think that's one of the one of the very, very big reasons. Um, and then there's also the reason that is often given to me when I speak to people who are Jewish, who say, look, I, I, I really agree with you. Donald Trump was great for Israel, but he supports those anti-Semites. They're part of his organization. Now, that's not true, but that's what they've been led to believe by the media. And so they'll put up with the craziness of BLM, which is anti-israel and anti-semitic um, by definition and in their in their manifesto and they'll put up with it as opposed to saying well you know i i, I really want to to embrace conservative values but but those crazy rights they're they're embraced and and the, the irony is that it's the opposite it's mm-hmm. the democratic party that has embraced the omars and faibs and the squad it's the Democratic Party that has rejected Israel. It's not the Republicans. It's the Democratic Party that wanted to take Jerusalem as the capital of Israel out of their platform. So it's ironic, but I think those are the main points and main reasons that Jews are are voting on the left, so to speak.
0: Well, we're going to cover a little bit more of this, the Democratic Party and the Jewish connection, a little later in the show Is there a sense, you think, though, of, you know, a lot of people say it's called self-hatred. Do you believe in that? Is there some kind of a loathing or an embarrassment of being Jewish that these people have created in their own minds? I think there's an embarrassment of being different.
1: Jews typically want to assimilate into the countries where they go. Um, So I think that's one challenge. But I think that there's also a, not just an embarrassment, but a, rejection of judaism because it's hard to be a jew we've got all these laws you can do this you can't do that we have very clear ethical guidelines and it's hard i mean besides the fact that you can't have a big mac and you can't have lobster it's (laughs) it's hard it's challenging and it's a lot easier to say nope i'm going to reject all of judaism and throw it all out and it's horrible and it's and it's antiquated and it's it has no meaning in the 21st century when in fact
0: Jewish values have more meaning now than they may ever have had in history. Well, that's very interesting. And I don't, I'm not trying to indict the whole Jewish movement and even the leftist Jewish movement. We all know about Catholics like Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi, who fully believe in abortion.
1: Now, the great thing about Judaism is, is that we're not monolithic. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, two Jews equals three opinions, four rabbis and five synagogues. We don't have a Pope. <laughs> so, We're based on Eluva Elu. These words and these words are both words of Torah. Um, So in our tradition, there is more room for the dialogue. I I quite honestly don't understand how someone can be Catholic and go against Catholic theology because they have very clear definitions. This is the way. I actually wrote an article um, a couple of years ago when there was a priest who refused to give uh, Biden communion. And I wrote an article complimenting him for sticking by his beliefs. If you accept the Eucharist, then you're accepting Catholic belief, which doesn't accept abortion. Seems kind of cut and dry to me. But for our purposes in Judaism, we, we accept all the different dialogues. And we, we want to have those dialogues. We want to have the discussions about what does the law really mean. It's not as, as black and white as in Catholicism. But, you know, we, we need to embrace our values as Jews and to live them.
0: Oh, I absolutely agree with you as far as Jewish people and any kind of people that follow religion. Now, let me get a little personal. So you live in Southern California. You have a congregation called Temple near Simcha. And uh, we all know that California is ground zero for liberalism. You're practically preaching in the lion's den. Do you ever get any backlash from fellow Jews or from other groups for being a conservative Jewish rabbi? Um, the most
1: backlash I get actually is from
0: Jews. It's not from other people. Sadly,
1: there's a lot of backlash. Um, As a friend put it once, the only orthodoxy that is demanded by rabbis is the orthodoxy of leftism by reform rabbis. If you go to an orthodox synagogue, no one cares what your politics are. If you go to a reform or conservative synagogue, often people are very demanding that you're on the left. I get calls every year before high holidays. And they want to talk to the rabbi, and so I speak with them, and it's the same conversation. And I get dozens of these calls every year. It's the same call. Rabbi, we're looking for a synagogue, and we want to know what are your politics and what are the politics of your synagogue? And I tell them what I just said to you uh, my politics are my own business. I, uh, our rules are that we keep politics off the pulpit, and we will never badmouth Israel from the pulpit. Why do you ask? And I get the same answer that they have been congregants of a synagogue anywhere from a year. In one case it was over 50 years. They were founding member of the synagogue and they were basically thrown out of their synagogue by the rabbi and by leadership because they didn't agree with leftist politics. Um, it's very, very sad to me because I don't think the synagogue is the place for that. I, I just don't think that politics come into it in the same way. I think we need to call it anti-Semites. We need to always be pro-Israel, but I'm not going to go on the pulpit and say uh, things that I would write for PJ media as an example.
0: And I think that's very fair. There's got to be some kind of a separation between church and state. Uh, in some ways, it's the same process as what you're doing. You, you're a rabbi when you're a rabbi and you're an individual when you write political stuff, right? Exactly. And,
1: and I'm, I'm writing it as a rabbi. I'm writing it as a man who is ensconced in Jewish teachings and Jewish values and, and, and Jewish practices. But I'm not writing it from the pulpit. What I write from the pulpit is our our, our Torah commentaries and things like that. I do a lot of writing. If it's theological, we send it out to our congregation. If it's political,
0: we do not. The A.J. Steele Show will be right back. You're listening to The A.J. Steele Show, where no topic is off limits, no discussion
1: too harsh, no truth more true. The A.J. Steele Show. We tell it like it is.
0: continue our interview with Rabbi Michael Barclay. It's very interesting what you're saying about all these streams of Judaism that are fighting with one another. I believe that in ancient Jerusalem, right before the temple was destroyed by the Romans, there were three Jewish sects that kept fighting each other instead of protecting Jerusalem from the Romans. So in some ways, it's uh, the prophecy returns, doesn't it? Or repeats itself, I should say.
1: It's even clearer than that. In the Talmud, one of our sacred texts, it says that the temple was destroyed because of baseless hatred between Jews. So I'll give you an example of something that happened last year. We had live high holiday services. Um, We did not close our doors for the Spanish Inquisition, for the Spanish flu or for the Nazis. And I wasn't going to close them for Gavin Newsom. And so we had live services. They were outdoors. We took over a wedding venue. We did had a 5,000 square foot canopy. We did double services. There was distancing between all families. Thank God no one got sick. And we were very, very careful. And it was very costly and very challenging on a lot of levels. And not only did I receive personal hate mail, but there were some people who posted on Facebook to their thousands of followers um, that my board and I should be arrested and we should die. And that's a quote. Now, one of these came from the wife of a rabbi, uh, also here in Los Angeles. And I called up that rabbi and I said, What are you doing? Because we well, are killing people. I said, No, no, we're not. And your community is your choice, but our community, we have our own choice. And you know that it says in the Talmud, baseless hatred among Jews is what destroyed the temple. And his response to me was, and this is a quote, that's only for Orthodox Jews, it doesn't mean anything. He said, Okay, which is not true, obviously. And I said, Okay. But it also says in Torah that you should rebuke your neighbor when they're acting in, in such an ill fashion. And it's not okay what your wife has done. To which he uh, screamed a string of, of expletives and hung up on me. And that's from a very prominent reform rabbi on the west side of Los Angeles.
0: Horrible. This is absolutely unbelievable to me. It's wrong on so many levels. Wow. Now, Rabbi, I'd like to shift gears a little bit and ask you a question about Christians in America. In the last 60 years, there's been a huge trend of evangelical Christians and Catholics here in America, the USA, and in the rest of the world who proudly support Israel. What uh, are your they do what are you What? <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> AJ, you're exactly right. They do.
0: So what are your thoughts on these pious Christians? How, and how can Jews and Christians work together despite the theological difference that they have? Well, I'm actually going to give you two different examples, a positive
1: one and a negative one. Um, and I'll call them out by name because right? I, I I'm pretty transparent about everything. Um, so which would you rather first, the negative example of how to make it not work or the positive example of how to make it work?
0: I want to hear some good news first.
1: Okay, so good news. I'm going to give you an example of a man named Pastor Rob McCoy. Rob is a pastor out here in Thousand Oaks, politically conservative, evangelical preacher. Um, his church is called Godspeak. Uh, he, there are people that come to our services and our classes from his church. And they come, he, he and I are dear friends. We have people, or a couple people from our congregation who have gone to him because they wanted to learn about Christianity. Um, as, as Rob is fond of saying, uh, I, I love the rabbi as much as a man can love a man and still be a man. We stand together. Uh, when, when the laws came down that you couldn't have services, um, I was one of the first people to get up and support him and what he's doing when we were having our, our services as well. And, and we didn't stop singing or anything else. He was one of the first people to get up and say, you know, we need to support the synagogue. Mm. That's a great way of working interfaith, respect and interfaith relations. And remember, I, at one point I was a professor at Loyola Marymount University, a professor of theology there, and there's, there can be wonderful relationships between Jews and Christians, Jews and Catholics, with a deep mutual respect. Uh, you know, I, I'm very fond of saying, I've said it a lot of times, and I've said it to Rob among other people, that the Messiah is going to come, may he come in our time, and I'm going to say welcome, and Rob's going to say welcome back, and we're all going to accept him. Um, so we find our commonalities and respect our differences. That is how, ideally, it should work. I'm going to give an example that's the exact opposite. Um, there is a, there's been called a, a demonstration, a faith leaders demonstration to take place up in Sacramento to pray for, um, you know, a, a change in the administration. So that is not as clearly at war with religion as Gavin Newsom is. I think that's fine. They're they're doing it as pastors. They're doing it as as clergy. Hmm. It was uh, created by a guy named Jim Donnan, who's a pastor at a place called Church United, I think. Um, But they're doing it on Rosh Hashanah, one of the holiest days of our year. When I reached out to Jim to say, what are you doing? No Jew can be there. And not only that, it's really disrespectful to our tradition. Jim didn't even have the courtesy of contacting myself or any other rabbi back. And his marketing person, his publicity person, is very apologetic, and and she thinks it should be changed as well from that Rosh Hashanah date. Um, But she said, you know, Jim is only concerned about what he's doing for his his evangelicals. That's never going to help Jewish-Christian relationships. Moreover, it makes it harder for me to get a Jew to be politically conservative because they look and they say, wait, look at those preachers who are up there in Sacramento on our holiest day because they don't have respect for us. That's not the way to encourage interfaith relationships and to encourage theological and political alliances, which we desperately need in these times.
0: You know, Rabbi, I agree with you, but I also want to point out that there's good and bad on each side. And there's so many also Jewish organizations that I've heard of, for example, the ADL, that really turn off people who actually care for Israel and for other Jewish people. So I guess that kind of ugliness uh, runs on both sides.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely, it does. And I'll give you a better example even than the ADL, which is run by Jonathan Greenblatt, who was involved in the Obama administration. Um, I'll give you an even sadder example. When the war happened last spring and 4,000 rockets attacked Israel, there was a group of close to 100 rabbinic students from the different reform and conservative seminaries who wrote a public letter condemning Israel and condoning Palestine. I find that disgusting. But more disgusting than that, these are supposedly future Jewish leaders. More disgusting than that is that they weren't expelled from their schools. Their rabbinic deans should have called them out and said, you know what? If you're pro-Palestinian and anti-Israel, that is totally your choice, but it doesn't belong on a pulpit. And so we're going to ask you to go find, go get a graduate degree in something else, go somewhere else. That you can't have this kind of behavior and be a rabbi. If a student, if a rabbinic student was caught being, uh, having moral turpitude or, or acting inappropriately, they'd be thrown out in the same way. I think that they should have been expelled from their schools at that time for condemning Israel. That's not a rabbi's position. It should never be. So it is on both sides and we need to have respect. We also need to, as Jews, to respect and say, You know what? That is their belief. And if God can accept how the evangelical or the Catholic believes, I should, too. I mean, they're all different pathways to the same God. And if God can accept that one friend or one man, his pathways through Jesus, okay,
0: then I should be able to accept that, too. Well, I feel the same way. I absolutely believe in live and let live and I believe that we all have a place in this world and hopefully we don't trample on other people's rights in the process. But uh, whatever makes you happy, as long as you don't hurt other people, is okay with me. Now, I want to switch the topic again to politics and hopefully talk about politics from a religious perspective. I'd like to talk a bit about the Democratic Party. We spoke about it a bit earlier. And in my opinion, and many other people's opinions, they're lurching towards anti-Semitism. Just pure and simple, unabashed anti-Semitism. And sometimes I wonder if anyone out there is actually listening to what Ilhan Omar is saying, and Rashida Talib and that little America hating AOC. I know what they're saying, and I'm sure you do too, Rabbi. But my question is this. What happened to Jewish leaders like Chuck Schumer and Diane Feinstein, and even that little weasel from your neck of the woods, Adam Schiff? Did a cat get their tongue? Well, I, so, no, I think
1: the, the phrase is, is simpler. A prostitute is a prostitute. Um, I don't think the cat ever got their tongue. I think Adam Schiff was, has always been who he is. People have asked me what politician I'm most angry or saddened by, and the answer isn't Ocasio-Cortez. It's not Omar. It's not Tlai. It's not any of the squad members. It's Chuck Schumer. Chuck Schumer is a knowledgeable Jew. He is not an ignoramus. And the word Shomer in in Hebrew means guardian. And he has always said his entire political career, he has said that he would be the Shomer, like his name Shomer, that he would be the guardian of Israel. He would Hmm. always protect Israel. Casio Cortez came into office. He got scared. He tucked his tail between his legs and he forgot any of those values. It's really sad to me. And, And more than anyone in Congress, he's the one I'm disappointed in more than anyone else, because he is a knowledgeable Jew. He knows better. And he has sold down Jewish values and his own personal values in favor of of political success. And that's profoundly sad to me.
0: Well, I think we can agree that politicians are and will always be politicians, and they will sell their own mother for votes. It's just how it's always been. But it is painful and it is sad. To me, what's even sadder is that Jewish people the majority of Jewish people in America still vote for these people. It's almost like they're suicidal. It's, it's,
1: it is a constant battle and it's sad. And again, it's so many of these leftist Jews, these Jews who are voting on the left, uh, voting for the democratic party, they're justifying it. They're justifying it because they're secular leftists as opposed to observant Jews. Um, They are justifying it based upon When I say I don't mean Orthodox, I mean someone who is actually thinks about Judaism as part of their life. Um, They're justifying it based on the idea that that, well, the right has these crazies involved when actually the crazies are on the left. BLM wants us dead. It's that simple. And yet they'll support BLM. And it is um, it is a vote for their own suicide. If we're very honest, 4000 rockets attacked Israel and they were paid for by Joe Biden.
0: And we all know how many Jewish votes Joe Biden got. And I'm not trying to pick on the Jewish people, obviously. There's plenty of other people who voted for him as well. Blindly, I should say. And they should have known better. The AJ Steele Show will be right back.
1: AJ Steele. Not right. Not left. Just right.
0: We now continue our interview with Rabbi Michael Barclay. I recently read a couple of great articles that you wrote for PJ Media. One of them is called, Is the United States Beginning to Imitate 1935 Germany? And the other one was called, The Yellow Badger Vaccines. So I know that many people in the media attack anyone who dares compare the Nazis and the Holocaust to what we're seeing in America today, including Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, who made the exact same analogy that you made. But I see parallels, and obviously you do too. Except for this time, in my opinion, they're not just coming for the Jews. This time they're coming for the Christians and conservatives and anyone who dares oppose the government in general. Would you please elaborate on these parallels that you saw and wrote about between America 2021 and Nazi Germany? So I, I
1: believe in the adage that history is bound to repeat itself if, we don't, if we're not aware of it. And I am a student of history. Most people don't realize that the Nazi party didn't even start till 1920, 1921. And by 1932, they controlled the country. And we need to kind of look at some of those big markers of how they got into control. And what's scary is some of those markers have been repeated in the last 18 months here in the United States. So one of the big ones was a man named Horst Vessel. Horst Vessel was a Nazi. Um, This is 1926, I believe. And he was not a good guy. He was a felon. He was a thug. He was a uh, pimp. He was a, a, a drug seller, all, all the bad kind of things. And he lived in an apartment building, and he refused to pay his landlady any rent. And his landlady was a widow. So she called some of her deceased husband's friends who were communists to come collect the rent from him. And they beat him within an inch of his life, and then he died in the hospital. And Himmler and Hitler were ecstatic because they had the martyr that they wanted. And so they had all sorts of, quote, peaceful demonstrations um, that were Nazi demonstrations that were not at all peaceful, but were violent because they were saying, you know, look, this martyr and we can't let this happen to Nazis, etc. And if you're hearing parallels to George Floyd, it's because it's identical. Um, that does not justify Horst Vessel or George Floyd's death. But how the death was used is identical. Then if we look into, I think it's 1931, the Nazi party had achieved such power that the German government allowed the Nazi flag to be flown next to the German tricolored flag on their federal buildings, German federal buildings. And then very shortly thereafter, no longer was the tricolored flag even flown. It was only the Nazi flag. And again, if you see the parallels with what our State Department did, This past year, saying the BLM flag could be flown on federal buildings and embassies next to the the Stars and Stripes, that parallel is very, very scary to me. The concept of the Yellow Star, the Yellow Star did not start in Nazi Germany. The Yellow Star started actually in the 8th century in the Caliphates. And it was a way of marking Jews. It was a way of saying, you are being segregated from the rest of society. You are being different and we're not going to let you go into certain markets. We're not going to let you do certain things because we say that you are different. And we're doing it not because we hate you. We're doing it for the safety of everybody else because you carry diseases other people don't carry. That's when this started. It's back in the 8th century. And continued all the way through um, Nazi Germany. And then again, continued through even today, where they are trying to, uh, a couple of years ago, they were trying to put a mark on any product produced in the West Bank. Again, a yellow star type of thing. The concept of the yellow star is one of segregating a group of people from other people, of separating them and prohibiting them from doing business, from doing transactions. These vaccination papers, I get, I get very, very uncomfortable when the government requires papers for anything. It it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. I have no issue if you own a restaurant and you believe that everyone should be vaccinated. It's your private business. And if you want to say, hey, to come into my restaurant, I'd like to see that, in fact, you're vaccinated. That's your choice. But When the government starts mandating it, it becomes very, very terrifying to me. If Carnival Cruise Lines decides that they need to have vaccination papers because they don't want to have they don't want to take the chance on anyone getting sick. That's a choice that they can make as a corporation. But when they're forced to do it by the state or federal government, that's a whole other issue. And it makes me very, very nervous. Um, and, and that's where this, this vaccination this vaccination papers are so scary, I think, on, on just a very clear level. Uh, I think the answer is what, whether it's truth or fiction, it's what the Danish king Christian X did. Uh, who when he was told that all Jews had to have yellow stars on to separate them, he went out and he wore a yellow star as did all of his ministers. And as a result, all of Denmark wore yellow stars. So you couldn't tell who the Jew was because everyone wore the yellow Jew. I'm personally vaccinated. I made that choice for me and my wife made the same choice for her, but I'm not willing to go anywhere where they're requiring papers because it is, it's not okay. Uh, it's just not okay. Uh, interestingly, I, I, I was privileged to, to um, learn some interesting Christian theology about this as well. Uh, apparently, in the book of Revelations, they have a whole prophecy about the time will come when the people will be marked, and if they don't have that mark, they can't do buy or sell goods or do transactions. Um, and it's getting kind of close to that kind of stuff, it, and that's what it was in Nazi Germany. It was in the Caliphates. It was in different times in the Middle Ages. I get very nervous
0: when papers are required by the government. It doesn't ever lead to anything good. I agree with you 100%. And I see a lot more parallels that you haven't mentioned and you wrote about in the past. What about the burning of books, the silencing of opposition, the silencing of different ideas? We're seeing all of that. And I think it's very interesting. People have always said that the Jews are the canaries in the coal mine. But in some ways, we're all Jews now. We're all Jews, all of the conservatives, all of the Christians— All people who dare think for themselves, they're the Jews now. Or at least they're being treated like the Jews were in Nazi Germany.
1: Someone made a comment to me a few years back. They said to admit being politically conservative as a rabbi in the 21st century is the same as publicly admitting that you're gay in 1965. Um, I'm not attacked for my, my religious beliefs. I'm attacked because of my political beliefs. And I'm attacked in terms of my religious beliefs because of politics. So the fact that we have live services, as an example, has been a reason for people to attack me. My house was vandalized um, last year. Those kind of things are, are sad and they're frightening. And I think that the best way to, to answer to those kind of threats is to step up and be very public and very honest and very open. So while I won't speak about politics on the pulpit, I have no issue and I'm grateful for the opportunity to be on your show or on Michael Savage's show or I've been a number of times or to write for PG Media for those kind of things. I think we need to step up and say, you know what, to the bullies, we're not going to take it anymore. We are going to stand in who we are. Last year, there was a group of clergy who took on Gavin Newsom for his draconian laws. 1,500 pastors and one rabbi. I couldn't get one other rabbi to step up. And that's sad to me because I think of all the people who who historically have experienced segregation and persecution, Jewish leaders should know we need to step up.
0: Not one would step up with us. Well, I think I mentioned earlier the concept of light to the nations. And in some ways, I believe that you're doing just that. And I appreciate it, and I know my listeners will appreciate it. I think what you're doing is very important and it's very brave and uh, more power to you. And I look forward to reading your articles in PJ Media and your conversations with Michael Savage that you just mentioned. I know that high holidays are coming up very soon, and I know you're extremely busy. I want to leave on a maybe positive note or maybe not. I don't know. How do you think this is all going to play out? Where is America going to end up in a couple of years? Let's say in five years. Where do you see America?
1: Um, in one of two places, so let's focus on the pasta. And to do that, I, I'd like to even refer to something last year. we are currently in the year 5781 in the Jewish calendar. Last year was 5780 when coronavirus was discovered. This coming year, which starts on Rosh Hashanah in two weeks, is um, on September 6th, is 5782. And a hundred years ago, there was a great rabbi who was not prone to prophecy, but what he talked about was that the year 5780 would be the worst year in human history and 5781 would be the best. And so last year I spoke at the high holidays that if he was about 5780 being so horrible, that 5781 would be so great. Now, this past year has not been so great seemingly, but I think it has been. And, and let me tell you why I believe it has been. The push, the, the segregation, the persecutions against conservatives, against people of faith, against all these different things, the extremism of the left has forced people to start to identify where do they stand, has forced them to start to wake up. Really, where do I stand as a human being, as an individual? Where do I stand theologically? Where do I stand politically? And this year, if if in fact this year woke everyone's souls up to what is really going on, the hatred that is in some places, then it's been a great year. And so what I'm hopeful for is that, and optimistic about, is that this year has woken people up and will continue to as we see the real goals of the people like Ocasio-Cortez and, and Biden and, and, or whoever's behind Biden, since God knows if he's even conscious of what's going on. <laughs> um, and as we start to recognize those things, it will force people to take a stand. And I'm hopeful that they will take a stand for American values, for Judeo-Christian values, they will take a stand to say, you know, I believe in, in individual rights. Um, I believe in free will. I believe in individual responsibility, not being a snowflake, but actually being responsible for myself. And my hope is that this year has it's woken people up. It's awakened them. And that as we start going into the next year, two years, three years, that people based on waking up will act. You know, first, you got to become aware. Then you got to become awake. Then you need to act. Only then can you act, and so I'm, I'm hopeful that they will support causes that are actually um, right and righteous, that make sense, support individuals and candidates that make sense, that are, are supportive of, of free will and individual responsibility, that they'll support people like Larry Elder as opposed to Gavin Newsom in two weeks, that they'll they'll do those kind of things. That's my optimistic hope. Where uh, we'll be in five years is that there will be a. A change, people will woken up and they'll realize, wait a minute, you know what? Those values of Ocasio-Cortez and company, those values of the left, those really don't serve us as individuals, as families, as communities, or as a nation. And as a result, they will choose to say, you know what? We want to be active. We want to support and we want to be proactive in supporting causes that are more right, righteous. And as a result, they will both find God in every moment start to and they will vote uh with their money and with their actual votes in that same way that's my optimistic hope and that's what i'd rather focus on than the opposite god
0: forbid well how do they say from your lips to god's ears i hope now rabbi how can people get in touch with you how can they read uh what you write uh where's your congregation can you tell our listeners a little bit about that Sure. And I appreciate the opportunity. Our congregation is called Ner Simcha, N E R S I
1: M C H A, And we're in Westlake Village, a uh, suburb of, of Los Angeles. And uh, we provide live services, religious education, bar mitzvah training, classes, etc. We actually are the first non-Orthodox synagogue. We are a conservative synagogue. We're the first non-Orthodox synagogue in the nation that doesn't charge membership dues, doesn't charge for high holiday tickets, doesn't charge for religious school. People get from their hearts. I don't think that any person should be forced to pay to pray. And as as you know, AJ, the model in synagogues around the nation is uh, you have to pay membership dues and buy tickets if you want to go to high holidays or if you want to educate your child. I just don't think a young family should have to determine do we, do we make our car payment or do we give our kids a religious education. I don't think it's right. So we're the first one in the country to have done that. Um, before the pandemic there were over 60 other synagogues around the nation who have emulated the model. It's actually the very traditional model, uh, prior to the mid 20th century. And still today there were no dues. There were no things like that financially. And still today outside of the United States, Canada, South Africa, and England, there's no dues. There's no cost for tickets. So, they can come to our website, ner-simcha.org, N-E-R-S-I-M-C-H-A.org. They anyone can uh, register if they're in the area for high holidays, for classes, or for religious school, any of those kind of things. If they're out of the area because we started getting a large following through Facebook uh, outside uh, the Los Angeles area, we stream all of our events, our services, our high holiday services are all streamed so people can participate that way as well. And you can find us on Facebook, again, under Nir Simcha, under my name, Rabbi Michael Barclay. And, um, you know, then they, and they can just sign up. They can email and sign up, and, and they'll, they'll get on that list, and they'll start getting – there's a weekly Torah commentary that goes out. As I say, we stream a lot of our classes, and people are more than welcome, and not only more than welcome, but are invited to come participate. And it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or not Jewish. Uh, if you just want to learn, if you want to grow, if you want to explore your own spirituality – we do it through a Jewish pathway, a Jewish methodology. Um, so don't expect talks about Jesus or about Buddha or anything else. But uh, if you want to explore that kind of pathway, you just go on the website and sign up and they will make sure everything. We have, we have great volunteers and great IT staff and they'll make sure everything goes to to you so that you can, you can be participating in it, um, either locally and live in person or virtually if you're outside of Southern California.
0: Rabbi Barkley, I really appreciate you coming on the A.J. Steele Show. It's been a true pleasure, and, and the time just flew so quickly. So we're, we have to have you back on one of these days again. I wish you a wonderful new year. Shana Tova to you and all your congregation. And um, stay strong. We need you.
1: Wow. Well. Thank you. You're very, you're very kind and may be a good and sweet year for you and all of your listeners and families and communities and, and only blessings of goodness and, and good health and prosperity and, and joy and freedom in every way, spiritually um, and, and politically and in every aspect of our lives so that we can all, God willing, this year, we can all truly experience divinity in our lives in, in a really good and healthy way.
0: All I really want to be is a guy that gets the girl. All I really want to be is... All I really want to be is a guy that gets the girl. The AJ Steel Show. Copyrighted 2020.